In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for our sinners, now at the hour of our death. Amen. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful, and kindle within us the fire of your divine love. Send forth your spirit, and they shall be created. Let us pray. O God, it instruct the hearts of your faithful by light the Holy Spirit. Grant us that by the same Spirit we may be truly wise and ever rejoice in his consolation through the same Christ our Lord. O Lady Fatima, pray for us. Saint Joseph, pray for us. Saint Ignatius of Loyola, Saint Charles Luanga and Companions. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, good morning. My parents were married in 1954. And they were married on June 26, 1954. My older brother was born March 27, 1955. So that was nine months and one day after they were born. And I'm an Irish twin, so once we hit February, I'm only 17 years old because I was born on leap year. (laughs) Youngest Youngest priest in the country, huh? So my parents had boy and boy and boy and boy. They were all boys. And finally they had a girl, so her name is Victoria. (laughs) (laughs) So when my sister Vicky was a teenager, she was going through a time of rebellion. And uh, she didn't want to go to confession. She must have been about 15. And uh, my mom is is a real trooper. When she wants something, she gets it done. Even though she's always been five five feet tall, 99 pounds, no? (laughs) So she's trying to get my sister to go back to confession. But she was adamantly opposed to that, my sister. Finally, mom mom said, please go to confession. And she said, okay, under one condition. I don't want to go face to face with the priest because he was a friend of the family. My mom says, yeah, you can choose to go behind the screen or you can go face to face. So doomsday arrived. The moment of truth. And my sister went in the confessional and this was a priest, a friend of the family. So she went behind the screen, and she went like this. Bless me, Father, for I've sinned. My last confession was eight months ago. And the father did this. Oh, hi, Vicky. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hi, Vicky. <laughs> now, he made a mistake. But from that moment on, the ice was broken, and she had no problem in going to confession. And I think it was the devil. I think it was the devil that prevented her from making that important step in going to confession. And I would wager to say that probably all of us have had that experience in our lives where we said we wanted to go to confession, we planned to go to confession, we never made it but rather we procrastinated. As they say in Spanish, la filosofía de la mañana, right? (laughs) We'll do it tomorrow, a little bit later. So I would say, get in the habit of not putting off your confession. Uh, Don't put it off. Get in the habit of making frequent confession, where I am in my parish, a lot of people will go every, actually every week. It's just 
have the habit of going every week uh, to augment sanctifying grace. And uh, it doesn't have to be a long confession. Not, not about Nebraska, but we have a place uh, in L.A. It's called in and out uh-huh. Do you have it here? One of those hamburger places, huh? Uh, so it doesn't have to be a long experience. Now, if you're making your general confession, uh, it, it may take a little bit longer, but the better you're prepared... The better you're prepared, the, the quicker it will be done. And usually the gender confession is, it might seem to be somewhat mechanical in the sense that, you know, I, I did this, I missed Mass ten times, this and that. But it doesn't matter. That's probably the best way to do it. Just say, okay, this is my life, I've missed Mass these number of times. Before getting married, had premarital sex these number of times. I use contraception, okay, these number of times. Okay, all those you should, you know, specify the number. I said that yesterday, right? Do you remember? So, time and number is very important. Okay, and this is, uh, this is canon law. When you commit a, a serious sin, you have to tell the number of times. Some of you are looking at me shocked. Okay, that's why uh, it's important that there be good catechesis on that. So this is canon law, it's not Father Broom. If you miss Mass on Sunday because of laziness, that's a mortal sin, right? Hello? Sex before marriage, is that a mortal sin? Okay. These are serious sins. You want to make sure you specify every the number, in as much as you can. Now, some of you might say, well, I'm 50 years old. How am I going to remember? You may not be a good mathematician, but the Holy Spirit is. You'll be surprised how the Holy Spirit can hone in and show you the number of times. So, I'm trusting that this is going to be the best experience in your life. And because maybe, maybe you're not experiencing interior peace, is because now it's time to get it all out. Amen? Get it all out. Get it all out. So, uh, given that we're many, uh, I don't know how many priests will be available, but I'll try to be as available as much as I possibly can so you can can make, make this experience. As I said yesterday, write it out. And try to specify the the number the number of times that you commit a mortal sin, and uh, trust in God's mercy. And once this is done, you will probably thank God the rest of your life for having been able to make this the best confession in your life. Amen. Amen or oh me. Amen, right? Yeah, I think it's going to be a, a, a really great experience. Uh, and also, if, if, be, if you have purposely hidden a mortal sin, even one, you have to make it. And because sometimes, some, certain sins are embarrassing, right? Be honest. There are certain sins, you know, masturbation, looking at pornography... Premarital sex, maybe homosexual act. I mean, it's, it's embarrassing. And sometimes because of fear and shame, we, we get locked up, but we don't, we don't tell the truth. So I think it's a good idea that we be very honest with ourselves and confess the truth. As it is. Confess the truth as it is. So, what I'd like to do today is building upon this topic of um, conversion to Christ. After making our 
general confession. I'd like to present what is called the call of the king. So today we're going to have what is called the call of the king. And the grace that we're going to be begging for is the grace to not to be deaf to the call of the king. Not to be deaf to the call of the king. That's the grace that St. Ignatius presents to us. Not to be deaf to the call of the king. Ignatius presents this contemplation in this way. He gives first a parable and then after he gives the parable of the call of the earthly king, he'll present the call of the eternal of the eternal king, which is Christ. And the first will lead us into the second. So the first thing Ignatius does is he tries to get us to imagine an earthly king that has as his desire to conquer the whole world to himself. And this earthly king is very enterprising. He wants to conquer the whole world, but also he wants to call followers in this enterprise. He's a very dynamic king. He's a very intelligent king. He's a very strong king. But he's a very demanding king. But what has happened is He's inviting all to fall, follow him. And we know that the last word is that he's going to win the battle. He's going to win the battle. And he's going to share with his followers the victory. Now Ignatius would ask how many of us how many of us would be willing to follow this king? And I think all of us would be willing to follow because we know that the last word is victory. The last word is victory. And you might even imagine some dynamic person that you really admire. Maybe someone like John Paul II. Maybe someone like Teresa of Avila. Maybe someone like Mother Teresa. Some dynamic figure that you're real that really seems to captivate you. And then imagine you following this person and winning the battle and the king sharing his victory with you. So this is the backdrop of the call of the eternal king. Now the eternal king is Jesus Christ. Now if we're willing to follow we're willing to follow an earthly king in these Enterprises which will end up in earthly gain. How much more should we be willing to follow the eternal king? 
which is Jesus Christ. So that's the backdrop of this exercise. Okay, now let's move from the from the earthly king into the eternal king. The eternal king is our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He's launching an invitation to follow him. Different than the earthly king, the eternal king is intent not simply in winning, but he wants he wants to conquest and he wants to save immortal souls. That's right. He wants to conquest and to save immortal souls. As we said earlier in Princeton Foundation, one soul, your soul, is worth more than the whole created universe. Your soul, the soul of your children, the soul of your loved ones, is worth more than the whole created universe. Now, if you're willing to follow the earthly king, How much more are you willing to follow the eternal king? How many of you would be willing to follow the eternal king? Okay. All of us are willing to follow the eternal king. And the enterprise, the enterprise is what? To, to, to work with the Lord to save souls. To work with the Lord to save eternal souls, immortal souls. If we love Christ... If we love Christ, then we should love what Christ loves. What does he love? He loves the eternal Father and his will. But Jesus Christ loves more than anything else you and your salvation. To prove the love for Christ for each and every one of us, we have to look to the cross and recognize that Jesus Christ shed every drop of his precious blood for all of humanity, but Jesus Christ shed every drop of his precious blood for you as if you were the only person in the world. How precious you are in the eyes of God. Now, St. Ignatius of Loyola if you're making a 30-day retreat, he invites you to start to get to know the lives of the saints. Read the lives of the saints. And you're going to see the, the apostolic zeal that the saints had. How much the saints were willing to sacrifice and suffer for the Salvation and conversion of souls. How much they're willing to suffer?
Take the example, when I was in the plane, I was reading the life of Padre Pio. You've heard of Padre Pio. When I say Padre Pio, usually what surfaces is you think about his stigmata, right? The stigmata that he had. Yet he received the stigmata in 1918, the visible stigmata in 1918. And God said he'd have that for 50 years. He's, only, he's the only priest stigmatic in the Catholic Church. St. Francis was a deacon. So he's the only priest stigmatic in the Catholic Church. Related the call of the king, how on earth could any individual be living with those painful wounds of Christ in his hands, in his feet, in his side for not only one day but 50 years? How on earth how, could, how on earth could anyone do that? And on one occasion, someone asked him, does it hurt? And he said, it's not a Christmas decoration. Okay? He would sometimes use sarcasm when you had dumb questions. No? It's not a Christmas decoration. Of course, during Lent, He'd bleed, he would bleed the whole 40 days of Lent. And every Friday, every Friday, blood would be coming out of his wounds. Why on earth would any individual suffer so much? Why? For love of Christ for union with the crucified Christ. And to be willing to suffer with Christ. For the salvation of souls. There's no other reason. Union with Christ. Why why did Christ come to the world? Obedient to the Eternal Father to save all of humanity and each and every one of us individually. And Padre Pio was putting into practice what we read in St. Paul, filling up what is lacking in the passion of Christ. We're called to fill up what is lacking in the passion of Christ. Okay, take another example. Second example I give. And these, these are examples from the lives of the saints to see what they were willing to undergo to work with Christ in the salvation of the world. Work with Christ for the salvation of the world. Once again, this is principle and foundation. Principle and foundation is working, of course, for our own salvation, but also for the salvation of others. If we love God, then we should be willing to love what God loves. And he loves the salvation of eternal souls. Take the example of little Jacinta Marto of Fatima. We've got to get to know the lives of these little saints among the youngest saints in Catholic Church. Some of you have children, some of you have grandchildren. 
These are models for our children today. Jacinta had a vision with Francisco and Lucia a, a vision of the fires of hell in July 16th. Very graphic vision. Which they saw the, the earth opening up and they could see the fire there and the flames and they could see the souls falling in. They could see these hideous animals that they'd never seen before. They could hear these cries of despair. And the children said, if the Blessed Mother were not present, they would have died of fear. They would have died of fear. But what was the result of that? The con- these children, then they were converted. I mean, they were good kids. But from that moment on, their lives were radically changed. So much so that when John Paul II beatified Jacinta, he called her a little victim soul, like Padre Pio. Maybe you've heard that terminology of victim soul. Victim soul is someone that's willing to suffer, suffer for Christ, unite themselves with Christ for the salvation of the world. Go through the list of what this little girl did. First, she decided that she would give up her favorite food, which was the luscious, sweet, grapes of the Portuguese hillsides. And she decided, okay, I'll just eat nuts and berries. Easier said than done. Imagine you're giving up your favorite food starting today. Not that easy, huh? And why did she do this? For the salvation of souls. This is not masochism. But love. Then she placed a rope, a rope around her waist, and she suffered the rope during her during her her, her waking hours. The three of them did that. Why? To work with Jesus to save souls. Before they'd pray the rosary quickly, they would just pull out the rosary and say, Our Father, Hail Mary, 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 Our Father, Hail Mary, Hail Mary, Hail Mary. Their parents asked them, Did you pray the rosary? Yes, we did. Yeah. We pray the rosary, yeah. From that time on, they prayed not only one rosary, but many rosaries. Then on a hot day, in the middle of summer, they out, out tending their sheep. And they were so thirsty that Jacinta and Francisco said, we can't put up with it anymore. So Lucy goes to a neighboring house and asks for a pitcher of water. And when she arrives at the water, Jacinta says, pour it on the ground so that we can suffer thirst for the salvation of souls. These are little kids. They can't even read and write. Poor little shepherd children, insignificant in the eyes of God, in the eyes of the world. Then Jacinta got a headache. 
got a headache. And she started to complain, and Francisco says, Hey, offer up that headache too. She said, I forgot. So she offered up that headache. Then when the little girl, after the operations, was about nine years old, she got pleurisy, ends up in the hospital in Lisbon, no one coming to visit her because her parents could not travel from Fatima to, to Lisbon. And Jacinta had to have an operation without anesthesia. She's nine years old. And she said, yes to this, why? For the salvation of souls. So if we really if we really love Christ we should be motivated to do all we possibly can to work with the king work with the king in collaborating for the most noble enterprise which is the salvation of souls So, pointers on how we can become followers of Christ the King to conquer the world to himself. From baptism, all of us are called through baptism anointed as priests, prophets, and kings. Once you're baptized, priest, you're called to offer yourself with Christ, the spotless victim, to the Eternal Father for the salvation of the world. Prophets were called to announce the Word of God through word and through example. And king, we're called to govern our passions, to conquer our passions. That would be the capital sins. We don't want the wolf to dominate. We want the lamb to dominate. If you're confirmed, you're called to spread the faith and you're called to defend the faith. The last words of Jesus Christ from the Gospel, Matthew chapter 28. Go out to all nations. Teach them all I taught. Baptize them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's the missionary mandate of Christ. The missionary mandate of Christ. That all of us are called, all of us are called to be missionaries. Pope John Paul II and Mother Teresa, who were undoubtedly the greatest missionaries last century, John Paul II wrote an encyclical on the missionary activity in the church. And the name of that encyclical was Missio Redentoris, which is English for the mission of the Redeemer. And he says that all baptized are called to save souls by working as missionaries. The Pope says, however, what is the best mission territory today? He says one of the best mission territories today are the big cities because of the many souls you have in the big cities. Omaha, Lincoln, New York, Chicago, Los Angeles, Rome, Paris, Buenos Aires. These are the mission territories. But it's not that we have to go to these big cities. We can find other places in which we can carry out missionary work. But if these exercises are going to take effect in our lives, 
we have to feel the urgent call in our lives to work with the king. Fulton Sheen, Venerable Fulton J. Sheen, gives us the, the dynamic of how we can be followers of the king. And he uses this, word, this dynamic. First come, then go. First come, then go. For us to be, for us to be good missionaries, we have to have a deep relationship with Christ. A deep relationship with Christ. So that means, from this retreat, we have to make a firm commitment to grow in our relationship with Christ. We can't give what we don't have. So, if we're already writing out commitments, one commitment will be, I will be very, very firm in my commitment to grow in my relationship with Christ. I will set aside every day specific time in which I'm going to be giving specific time to Christ. I would raise the bar and raise the bar and say and encourage all of you to try to make a daily holy hour. Every day set aside set aside an hour which you're going to be giving to God. A daily holy hour. You can choose to do it whenever you want. But I strongly recommend try to do it, if possible, as early as possible. Give the Lord your first fruits. Get to bed early. Get up early. Give the Lord your first fruits. So that might, that might be a change that we're going to have to make in our lives as a result of this retreat. We have to get to bed early and get up early and give the Lord your first fruits. Maybe it may be difficult, but you know, life is short. Life is short. Work hard in this life and rest forever in heaven. My philosophy. Let's work hard while we have time and energy and effort. Let's work hard now. Then we can rest forever in heaven with an abundant harvest of souls that God will place in your hands. You're not here by chance. You want to get me angry? Say, good luck, Father. And I will, I'll, I'll rebuke you. Because I don't believe in luck. I believe in divine providence. Nothing happens by chance. Nothing happens by chance. It's called divine providence. Everything happens is known, allowed, and willed by our Heavenly Father. So give, give the Lord your first fruits. If you ever read through the Gospel of St. Mark, chapter 1, you have a typical day in the life of Christ. And it says that Jesus got up way before dawn. And he was absorbed in prayer. What does way before dawn mean? Pretty early, huh? Way before dawn and he was absorbed in prayer. So give the Lord your first fruits. Challenge yourself to upgrade to upgrade your sacramental life. 
you go to confession every few months, do it more frequently. You go to Mass every Sunday, try to go during the week. You don't have spiritual direction, find a spiritual director. We're here to set the groundwork of building a spiritual edifice in which we're called to become saints. And it's not simply wishful thinking, but practical decisions that we put into practice. So, as Fulton Sheen says, first come, then go. First come is first the contemplative life, then the active life. Ignatian spirituality is designed to form contemplatives in action. We're contemplatives, but also we bring the fruits of our contemplation into action. Okay, so that's the first part of our contemplative life, is that we have to grow deeper in our relationship with God by a deeper prayer life and a deeper, a deeper sacramental life. And I strongly encourage that all of you seriously try to get a spiritual director. If you don't have a spiritual director, you're going to arrive at a certain point, then you'll stagnate. Any John of the Cross, Teresa of Avila, Ignatius of Loyola, these great saints, they all say, you have to have a spiritual director because we all have blind spots. We all have blind spots. And in your prayer life, because this is a prayer experience, if you do not have adequate spiritual direction with respect to prayer, you, you're going to stagnate. You're going to hit a snag and you're going to stop at a certain level where God, God is calling you all to become saints. He's calling you to a higher level. So you have to have, have to have certain direction in this, in this area. Okay. Another very important element is this. If we're going to be giving to others, we have to receive and we have to work on what is called permanent intellectual Catholic formation. Constantly we have to strive to get to know our faith better. To go deeper and deeper in our Catholic faith by getting to know our faith better. And this is this is part and parcel of being an apostle. How are we going to preach our faith if we don't even know our faith? So it's both prayer as well as having a serious life in which we're studying our Catholic faith. To being a well-educated Catholic, we have to know the Bible. You know, be honest, the Protestants sometimes they know the Bible better than us. The Jehovah Witnesses, the Mormons. They're knocking on doors there, they're preaching, they're using biblical verses, and sometimes we can't even defend ourselves. I had an experience in my parish because I visit the homes, knock on doors. And people are shocked because they never, never saw a Catholic knocking on doors. It's always the Jehovah Witnesses, or the Mormons, or the born-again Christians. They were... They're shocked to see there's a, a priest and a, and a missionary team knocking on doors. And there in the, in the center of the town, at about 11 o'clock in the morning, I met these two men 
They were dressed in a white shirt, blonde hair, blue eyes. Uh, they were riding bikes. Guess who? They were the Mormons. The Mormons in the very center of a town which is almost all Mexicans. No? And they were knocking on doors. So I started to talk with them. Started to talk with them. And they, they were speaking a Spanish better than the Mexicans. Man. I was blown away. And they brought them and raised probably in Utah. Salt Lake City, one of those places. And they spoke better Spanish than the Hispanics. They said, where did you guys learn your Spanish? They said, well, we went down to South America so we can come back here fluent in Spanish to bring the Spanish-speaking Catholics into our church. Wow. It's embarrassing. It's very embarrassing. They have the fullness of errors, but they get fire. <laughs> we got the fullness of truth, but we're asleep. And we have to be honest. We have the fullness of truth for 2,000 years, but we're asleep. As the Cardinal Archbishop of Buenos Aires said when I arrived in the 80s, the Catholic Church is a sleeping giant. Sleeping giant. 1.2 billion. That's a lot of members. You're called to wake up those many who are asleep. And the biggest religious group in our country are non-practicing Catholics. You hear me? The biggest religious group are non-practicing Catholics. So, your contemplative dimension, there's two parts. It's your prayer life, your holy hour, your sacraments, that's essential. But also it's incumbent upon us to work on our own permanent formation. Professionals in this country, if you're a professional, if you're not working on your permanent formation, you're going to lose your job. The example I give is, My oldest brother is getting close to 70 now, and he's late 60s. I was with him a few years ago on vacation. And he had to study to pass a test. He's been a, he's been a, a spine surgeon for 40 years, and probably one of the best there in Florida. He's a graduate from Dartmouth. Okay. Summa cum laude. You know what that is? Summa cum laude. Then Columbia Medical School. You know, two of the best colleges in the world. Why would you think that this... That, well, why does he have to pass another test with that, with that intellectual acumen? Why? Because science and medicine is progressing and he's got to be... He's got to be with what's going on in scientific medical progress. Shouldn't we be professional Catholics? Or are we going to be just rinky-dink Catholics? No? We've got to form a, a team of professional Catholics that really know our faith. And these difficult moral issues that are surfacing. These difficult moral issues that are surfacing, especially on the right of a child to be born, right? Hey, the battle isn't over. The identity of the human person, we're in crisis. 
When these topics surface, are you able to give a cogent, convincing argument for the truth that is within you? Now more than ever, we have to walk with Christ the King. To know Him and love Him and know what His teaching is. We've never lived in a world with so much information. We've never lived in a world with so much confusion as today. The Tower of Babel revisited. No? I repeat, we've never lived in a world with so much information. You can get any information you want in a matter of a few seconds. But never have we lived in a world with so much confusion, even within the church. Even within the church. Priests contradicting each other. You have to go to the you have to go to the priest, the confessor, the moral theologian that you think is telling the truth. And then once you recognize what the truth is, you have to give yourself full-heartedly to that and be willing to die for the truth. Read the lives of the saints today. I've been invited to go to Uganda, and I haven't, don't have everything ready yet, but wow. Where is the faith growing most in the world, do you know? By far, Africa. We have about 2,000 applicants in Nigeria. We have a house in Nigeria. About 2,000 applicants every year. We can only accept five or six. Uganda is maybe even stronger. Uganda is the center we have those martyrs that died today. You know why? Charles Luanga, the king, wanted to have homosexual acts with Charles Luanga. And his companion. Read it. He said no. And they burnt him alive. And look, look where the faith is growing most in Africa, Nigeria, and Uganda. That's why he died. So he would not be abused sexually. He said, I prefer to die. And the king was furious. And he is in companions. And some of them were even Anglicans, not all, not all Catholics. Are you willing to die for the truth? See, following Christ, it's not a boat ride. Following Christ, you've got to carry the cross, you've got to be willing to walk the walk and talk the talk, but know what it is. So I've said before, you're not here by chance. And I would have never thought in a million years I was invited to come to Nebraska to give this retreat. I'm not here by chance either. We're here because God has sent us together so that we can follow the Lord. We can walk in His footsteps. We can love Him. We can love what He loves. What is Christ's love? He loves the salvation of immortal souls. So you, you have to step back now in this contemplation and look at your life. What are the areas in your life? What are the areas in your life where you can work with Christ to save souls? Every one of you, every one of you here, God is placing people in your life, people in your path. That He wants you to be a bridge by which they can go from heaven to, from earth to heaven. All of you. Okay. How many of you how many of you live in a family? Do you think there's something you can do to bring your family members closer to Christ? 
Hello? Hey? <laughs> you got to pray over that. That's your first responsibility. You got to pray over that. Okay, when you die, one of the first things Jesus is going to say is, you're, you're a mom of four kids. What did you do to bring your kids to heaven? That's, I'll tell you. I make a prophecy. When you die, Jesus is going to say, did you love me? Then he's going to say, what did you do to bring your four children to heaven? Take my word. Take my word for it. If you were... Okay, if you're if you're negligent as as a mother, okay, let's change right now, right now, and don't say tomorrow, right now. If I'm negligent as a priest, I'm going to try to be converted right now. Don't wait until tomorrow. Maybe we don't even have a tomorrow. We don't know if we have a tomorrow. Don't kid yourself. We only have right now. Do you have to step back and look? What, what about my family? Some of you are saying this. Well, well, Father, I have adult children. They're turned off to God. Okay, you're going to throw the towel in? No. Okay. Okay, you probably are in that situation. Some of you, you've you got adult children that they're turned off to God. They made their communion. They're baptized, confirmation, they were altar servers, they were singing the choir. Now they no longer go to church. Okay, I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you the secret to, the, that's a scenario that's very common among many parents today that have teenage to adult children. Are you going to throw the towel in? Don't throw the towel in! Don't give up! Here's the best example I know. St. Monica. St. Monica. Read the Confessions. Confessions would be one of the top five books in the history of the world. Of St. Augustine. You've heard of it probably, right? You can all apply yourself, your life, to St. Monica. St. Monica had a bum of a husband. He was a drunk, he was a womanizer, and he was violent. Patricius, her husband. She had a, a mother-in-law called a chismosa in Spanish. Huh? Gossipy mother-in-law. Her son was addicted to sex. His name was Augustine. He said, Lord, give me chastity, but not yet. Not yet. I'm not ready. That was his prayer. Give me chastity, but not yet. So Monica... She ends up in Milan, where her son is teaching rhetoric. She's going to be going from Africa to Rome, to Rome, to Milan. And she sets up an appointment with the bishop. The bishop's name was Ambrose. We call him St. Ambrose. And what does Ambrose say? Ambrose says, look, Monica, don't talk... To Augustine about God, talk to God about Augustine. Do you hear me? Don't talk to Augustine about God. Talk to God about Augustine. Because you've already talked to Augustine about God and he's deaf to you. Now is the time to pray, to fast, offer your tears. And he was converted. And he became one of the greatest saints in the Catholic Church. I think all of you are called to be modern St. Monica's in your families. Don't throw the towel in. Spend time on your knees, praying, fasting, offering up sacrifices. And God has his time. So, your meditation today is you're all called, you're all called to 
Listen to the voice of the king. He's calling all of you to walk with him, to work with him, to sacrifice with him, to suffer with him, to save immortal souls. One soul is worth more than the whole created universe. My friends, let's love God by loving what God loves. That is the salvation of immortal souls. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. Bless the fruit of thy Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for our sins, now and at the hour of our death. The Lord be with you. Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit.